0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's Josh and Tom Devour the World, where we attempt to that devour I'm the not world not before not the world devours us. And today we have Jim Burnfield, but before we get to Jim, uh, filmmaker extraordinaire, exciting movie to talk about with him. We want to introduce our second host, Tom Chalmers. Tom, say hello to the people.
1: Hello to the people. Uh, hi, Josh. Hello, Jim Bernfield. Nice to have you with us. A um, little context. So Jim and I are college classmates, but much more than that. Um, friends for a very long time. Jim then went and made political history, shaping political campaigns uh, on the highest level possible and then said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not done with that Columbia experience. Came back, went to Columbia film school and then has been pointing his talents at filmmaking ever since parodying the struggles of superheroes in now most recently making an incredibly powerful documentary called me to play about two actors with Parkinson's, uh, working to stage a production of Beckett's Endgame, uh, which is now streaming as part of the slam dance festival. And uh, you can listen to this and then go watch the movie right afterwards, or maybe even simultaneously, you can try to sync it up like Pink Floyd and uh, Wizard of Oz. So if you start this podcast 12 minutes in, yeah, though not that, but uh, Jim, I'm always looking for a reason to talk to you and how nice to be able to uh, have it be in support of something that you should feel proud
2: about for the rest of your life. You, You did something that's really nice. Thank you, thanks very much. Uh, it feels good to both connect reconnect with you. When you talk about like we're classmates, I felt like you were like this is when you like introduce like Neil Gorsuch or something like that <laughs> our other you know esteemed uh, Columbia classmate. But uh, uh, he's we, on next week. yes. oh good. super. <laughs> I'm wondering what he's devouring Oh literally the world. Um, the Constitution yeah uh, <laughs> But um, no it's it's uh, really amazing to uh, to have a project like this actually come and see the world to be honest, it's been a like nine year gestation. So if you think having a baby is hard, I guess having a low budget independent documentary film is uh, at least longer, I'll say that. Um, yeah, I, I love our limited poss- we had a friend on who uh,
1: released an EP during the quarantine times, like, great, so you know, yeah. did you put, he's like, no, this is a couple of years in the <laughs> making, I just finally had some time to finish it. <laughs> so we well, always think is- that people just like have an idea then blink and it's done, yeah.
2: Right, right, no, that's the like what, um, years long overnight success thing uh yes. it's great to get the feedback that i'm getting about this movie certainly but there were times when i was like this is going to be a really nice paperweight i mean this glossy <laughs> hard drive that it's sitting on that no one will ever see i'll dust it occasionally plug it in maybe just to keep it alive every two or three years and just let it go but happily uh slam dance was like no we really think this is an awesome movie and actually I get to show it to people which is excellent super good. so jim
1: uh, the premise of our podcast we sort of check in to see uh... What we've been eating drinking thinking literally or figuratively um, and again that can be recent or you can talk about maybe anything during the long process that you might have uh, leaned on in terms of eating drinking or thinking Yeah, just what are you putting in <laughs> your system to help inform what your system puts out.
2: That's interesting. I'm gonna flip the script on you a little bit if I could. Because, oh, how how um, unlike you, Burnfield. <laughs> sorry about that. But um, I don't want to talk about what I'm not e- eating, consuming. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the you know uh, great grape nuts crisis of 2021, but it's hitting me really, really hard, frankly. And it speaks to all the loss I think of pandemic times, which is. <laughs> Like just every to be day, clear, you
0: said grape grape nuts, like as in the cereal, grape nuts, like little tiny things that don't look like grapes. They do look like nuts. Right. Uh, I don't know if they actually like go and castrate grapes in order to create the cereal, but but tell me, what is the great grape nuts fiasco? <laughs> this this
2: is in fact the what was it? Yule Gibbons uh, cereal that yes. um that I, I'm talking about just to date myself a little bit, right? Well, grape nuts are a nutty, delicious, non-sweet. Thing You put in a mug, put some milk on and um, go from there uh, in the morning. And I can't speak to what the uh, crisis is because it's a proprietary situation at post headquarters somewhere, I guess. Uh But like, I think it's made out of the same stuff you make regular seal about, but you like put it in the kiln or something like that. And like someone flicked the switch somewhere wrong and maybe the kiln cracked or the, (laughs) uh, or like someone put honey when they're supposed to put, but I don't know what that, I'm not, I don't work for post so I can't speak to what happened, <laughs> but I will tell you this, it's meant that there's no grape nuts on the shelf. I have like, when I go to a, like pass by a bodega, I'll literally sneak in and be like, maybe they've got the last box. And of course they don't. Um, uh, I should say bodega is a is, uh, New York term for 7-Eleven basically. So I just want to uh, give your, let's say. Gotcha. Little, uh, super, um, at, or like our supermarket or the uh, food co-op that, that we belong to searching uh, I'm searching and searching for like the one thing that look that I, that I put in my mouth and i like, I hate breakfast to be frank. I don't like waffles and like pancakes. All that stuff is just like carb, gross, heavy, you feel bad afterwards, even if you pour as much of syrup as I might on it. And so I have this thing that I love that I like to ingest. i like to do that. I like to take in and it's been stripped from me in the same way that like the stuff I love to do uh, and I've loved to do for the last, you know, X number of years I can't do during the pandemic. So it really is kind of a metaphor in a way if I could take it all the way to the loss that that um, even this film festival, if I may say, I should be in, you know, Park City hobnobbing with like Jared Leto until like four in the morning, you know, stirring cocaine on, on you know, off of, uh, you know, a interns, you know, backside or something. Instead, I'm here on Zoom, like, you know, sending out uh, social media posts. <laughs> just not the same, it, just like it my runs- grandmother is gone.
0: It's funny you would mention uh, the, the breakfast cereal because um, and something that you have had to give up for whatever reason. That's this mysterious reason. It is we're coming. We're recording this on Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. And uh, and I just had for breakfast and something I don't normally have because of some 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 plans I have for what to give up for for Lent, which is not something I actually celebrate. But it's just, I think, good to give things up every once in a while. Uh, so I had an apple Fritter from uh, Ava's Donuts, which is right down here in South Asheville. A lot of our audience is from Asheville, so please go support Ava's Donuts because they have the best apple fritter in the world. I just found out, and now I, I'm considering—I was considering giving up sweets for the next uh, little bit, uh, but but now I'm having a hard time. So, so if you were to try to give something up, grapefruit seemed to be a pretty easy thing to to go for during uh, the pandemic. Although this seems to be uh, have the opposite effect of of making you think of the holy things in the world as opposed to, <laughs> to feeling
1: good about it. <laughs> Uh, Jim or Josh, I'm curious, have you ever gotten to the point in like the uh, the thank yous uh, of a production of thanking uh, an entity rather than a person? I will admit, I did once thank Diet Mountain Dew uh, in, in a list of uh, thank yous in a production because I'm like, yeah, never would have happened without Diet Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> so, have you ever gotten to uh, crediting something other than a,
2: a person? I can't say that I've I've had the opportunity to thank as many people, I guess, as you have, as my productions are few and far between. But I could certainly see uh in, in this case, really it would just be I think it would just be like a flop sweat. It's, it's it's not really a thing or a product, although if I could bottle that it'd be good, but it really is like um it, that's what the, the the boys who are in the movie uh sort of lived off of. Um it's what I lived off of when you know they'd call me assiduously, like, are you cutting me out of the movie? It's like you're the whole movie, how could I possibly <laughs> cut you out? But you know, I've got the concern, um, and you know, and and going, so yes and no, I guess, it's my answer. A tangible thing, um, not you know, I mean, I've certainly seen people like, uh, when they get you know, uh, making a documentary or making anything low budget, you're like living off of credit and people's favors, so then I mean, you have to throw it down. Me, we just didn't use much stuff, it was like, you know, uh, um me a paperclip and you know a guy like turning the crank of the camera and that was like <laughs> you know, old school so but I think that's a good idea um Josh have you ever thanked a, a, a food or a beverage
1: or a... not in particular but I do think that the
0: planner that I was given for Christmas will deserve any thanks for any sort of organization because a thing that I've been noticing that has been disappearing on me much like Jim's Grape Nuts, is time. Like as um, our company starts to ramp back up and look at relaunching next year, the t- and this is just always a particularly busy time of year as we produce Black History shows, it's Black History Month, and there's just tons of things going on. And my time just seems to have been completely disappeared. But thanks to that planner, I'm able to keep somewhat on top of my schedule. And I've never been a planner guy before, so I, 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 will, I, will, I will gladly share the, the it is this beautiful blue book uh, that you could see if this were a video thing, but it's called the Smart Planner Pro, and it's really nice. It's got like um, it's got the monthly. Good for you weekly... that you upgraded
2: to the Pro. You yeah, yeah. yeah, I did. An amateur planner is just not for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Business yeah, it's I, a tax write-off too because it's professional. I, I think that one's just called the
1: dumb planner as opposed to the smart planner,
2: and
3: no,
1: yes. you don't, don't want to do that. So many of those. Um, so if I can, Jim, I'm going to jump on your. A food reference, which is the idea of like, I know there are things that are more delicious, but that's not what I want. I want this. This is yes. my idea of breakfast. Uh, this past weekend, uh, my wife and some friends have been sort of talking about it. And they finally did the uh, pot pie cook-off. You know, They were sort of like, oh, my pot pie. <laughs> no, my pot pie. So they did a pot pie cook-off. Uh. Yay. Uh, I was happy to participate. And, then, and yeah, my, uh, my friend it's Jason made his, and it was clear. Yeah, it was uh, delicious is savory yum because he made it with this like smoked chicken kind of thing mm. um and i was and i was like yeah this is good if this is what you want from your pot pie experience whereas my wife's was just like classic you know just you know you know his didn't have potatoes in it and i was like yeah, exactly so hers was just <laughs> uh, you know just the things that you expect you know, like peas and 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 potatoes things like that and i was like yeah well this is This is, when I was thinking about pot pie, this was the flavor that was waiting to be sated in my brain. So this is what I wanted. Like, yeah, yours is like, you know, the other one was fireworks. mm, Oh, wow, so many flavors. But I'm like, yeah, but that just feels like something I stumbled on on a buffet. Like, what is this? Whereas sometimes you just want the classic idea of what you expect from something. Even though I know there are more delicious things. Examples of that for me are Vermont maple syrup versus like store-bought maple syrup. I'm like, sorry, I want the store-bought. Really? I want the memory of maple syrup that I had growing up and uh, <laughs> cran- cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving. I want it. I want the can. Again, you the want the serrations on the on yes. two. The, the you know, people are like, oh, but it says orange zest. I was like, no, oh, good no, for no. you. Good sorry. on you. I want the memory of the thing that I was anticipating. Well, I don't know if you gonna... have any experience with that, but... Sometimes you just want the thing that you want, not necessarily the better version of it.
2: Right. I feel like you're also talking like the, like buffalo chicken pizza. You're like, hold on a second. Those are two fine things, but why you're jamming them together like, or something like that is beyond is beyond my knowledge. I mean, not something I would, I mean, you do, there are times, you're not interested in the, like teriyaki burger. You want a burger. Yeah, I totally hear you. Although
0: I think that a pot pie that actually had pot in it would be a pretty delicious treat. I think someone could
2: do that really well. I got to say, having uh, experimented (laughs) with this a slight bit, um, you really want to end up getting the butter and it becomes very, very herbaceous. So if you do, you're going to have to go with like a lot of, not to get into like a lot of other herbs to kind of cover the really odd taste that the the, uh, activated uh, uh, weed butter will will create for that. But listen, more power to you is all I can say. That's it. Jim, we'll jump back into your project and
1: with the idea of... You, there are so many things one might make a documentary on. Uh, how is it that you are like? No, this is the thing that I'm going to spend many hard hours with, the uh, little promise of fantastic payoff. Uh, what what made it something that you knew you had to do? Well,
2: Tom, I I, gotta, I blame you, to be fair. You're welcome. Um, uh, and the reason I do that is that uh, I don't know if you remember, but back uh, when we were young, we used to, and you were living in New York. Uh, I would force you to come uptown to watch football with me at various different, really crappy Upper West Side bars. And at one point you said, hey, you know, I live in the East Village, sort of the home of social life. Why don't you come down here? Whereas there's a bar that I know of that we could watch this football at. Um, and I was like, oh, it's an hour long subway ride, but I'm happy to do that. We got down there. We watched a few games together um, with our friend, Dave. Um, and there's just a table full of 49er fans. Well, over time, you and Dave weren't quite as religious about your football, I guess, as I am, sort of fell away. And I was drawn closer and closer to this table for all these like hilarious uh, uh, Niners fans um, who had a Jerry Rice doll they'd pass around at every touchdown and, 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 and much more, <laughs> including a like full-size 49ers replica helmet they would, they would leave on the table. Um, and uh, uh, when like Christmas rolled around in that season and they were like asking my name so they could put me on the uh, ceremonial, like. Uh, Christmas stocking for the table. I was like, oh my God, I'm in. And over time, I made good friends with uh, sort of the leader of that pack, this sort of um, uh, bullet-headed tough guy who I actually, when I thought back, I realized I'd seen him uh, both like get beat up by Jean-Claude Van Damme and beat up Woody Allen on his own, uh, you know, in in his real job as an actor. And we became friends and traded scripts and such like that. And at some point years later, um, like during a Rams game, uh, he turned to me and said like, you know, got something to tell you. Uh, I have Parkinson's. And I looked at him and my dad suffered from Parkinson's and had died a couple of years before. And I could, he didn't really need to tell me this because I could see that sort of uh, muscul- hanging musculature kind of in his face that my dad had had. And um, I, I, I responded to it and, and I realized that it was, it was important. <clears throat> and um, with him as sort of the father figure of this Niners group, I could have a relationship with the disease and this person I cared about in a way that Maybe I couldn't with my, you know, professor father, in a way. Um, And so when he told me that, you know, he was continuing to talk projects and trade scripts and stuff like that, told me uh, about this project he was doing with another friend uh, to put up Endgame and and why, I was like, let me in. That sounds just like the labor of love. I want to spend nine years trying to get onto a small screen somewhere.
1: Well, that's outstanding. Uh, I didn't realize I've produced this film from many angles. Oh, Yes. Not only my paltry Kickstarter uh, contribution, but that's, that's really cool. So yeah, that was uh, right, uh, St. Mark's Alehouse or? That is correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That that's where it came. And again, so yes, this is about uh, two actors. When you do watch the documentary, you will recognize them as like, oh, that guy from right. that movie and that movie. And you do a nice job of kind of reminding us of their film history. So what
2: are the two actors' names featured in your movie? Dan Moran is, uh, plays uh, Ham, who's the sort of center of the play. And Chris Jones uh, plays Clove, who's um, his assistant, but the two of them really, it's a two-hander. Basically, the two of them spend basically uh, the entire play on stage. They're kind of, uh, as someone says in the movie, the most wonderful guys you'll ever run into, they're incredibly different. Dan sort of having been the tough guy, Chris being sort of like the I don't know what I'll call it, sort of leprechaun-like sort of figure, uh, so that when it was ca- time to shoot them, um, Dan would like, you know, go straight into the darkness. And Chris would be like, hey, let me throw a joke out. So like, sort of cover this stuff. Um, and so it was really fun to get through the two sides because everybody takes hardship and difficulty differently. Um, and so it was really, and their wives also are two more sort of sides of the die, I guess I'll call it, you know, that uh, um, really made this, uh, um, I think gives you all sides of, not all sides, but many sides. of. I, I
1: really enjoyed uh, the wife who was sort of like, I'm sorry, I'm not Michael J. Fox and everything is just perfect. And every day is just, I'm so grateful for this opportunity.
2: I miss my husband. Um, I, I, she was very powerful. Look, anger is um, is got to be part of it. I mean, there are lots of times you sugarcoat this stuff or one can sugarcoat this stuff. And one thing I think I'm pleased about with the documentary is one, we don't patronize the guys. Yeah we show the, the anger and so that, I mean, a little side story. So is when my family would go on vacation over Christmases for years and, years and years and years and years and years and as my dad deteriorated, we continued to do so. One point we went on this wonderful, you know, 10 day Caribbean vacation or something like that. And we all got there as adult children and we we're like, so where's like the caregiver for dad? And my mom, mom was like, there is none, so you can see how it feels. It's like, hey, this is gonna be a <laughs> great time. Right on, I love this, can't wait.
1: Awesome. Uh, yeah. Experiential is a word I'm going to be sort of uh, <laughs> pushing today. So, again, Josh, uh, I know that you have connection to Beckett. This is something that you have staged, I believe, with both adults and students. Um, um, but not with students. I mean, maybe not with, that production, but yeah.
0: No, um, we've done we've done other absurdists. I've done some other absurds, but I did myself do craps last tape um when i was a younger person actually and i can and it is beckett is such a tremendously difficult script to learn any of any of his work because so much of it is about the words the order of the words the repetition of the words and not necessarily so much the meaning of the words in terms that an actor can rationally consume because you have to create he leaves so much space for interpretation that you almost have to kind of let some intuition be your guide about what this repetition of this word means over and over. for example in craps last tape he says spool spool and finding why why does he say this over and over again you know of course there are spools of you know the, so you have to find your own motivation th- throughout it and uh, but I, I just a super challenging thing i would think and i and especially for actors who are experiencing Parkinson's, I do think Dan in particular, you know, the time I felt the most sympathetic towards him though, was any of the scenes where he was wearing San Francisco 49ers gear, because as a, as a Cowboys fan, you just feel sorry for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those guys.
2: And, uh... <laughs> well, you know, I got to, first of all, um, let me just say that we were kicked out as a group uh, from uh, St. Mark's Ale house later after Tom's uh, Tom moved on because um, the one of the people in my group, um, the sort of you know pixie like um, uh, sorority girl, punched a Cowboys fan actually, which got us 86% <laughs> bar. Um, uh, but then the second thing I'd say is that is that with regard to Beckett, I think you're right. The words almost are different than than performance. I read the play the night before Dan and I went searching for um, out to the uh, Cherry Lane Theater. We're actually. Uh, um, uh, um, Endgame had been first performed in in America in the 50s, and they still have, you know, poster from that run on the wall. Wow. And I, I elbowed Dan. I was like, "Hey, Dan, I'm looking at the poster. It's like hilarious, laugh riot." Fell out of my seat. I'm like, "Dan, I read this play last night. This is the most like dour, scary, revelatory darkness I've ever seen." He said, "Like, that's right. You read it. Right. Wait till you see it." When it's like a vaudevillian, uh, um, a repeti- you know, a vaudevillian cascade of repetitive sorrow, basically, Right. as, you know, um, Beckett strips away all the uh, idiosyncrasies of life to, to this thing. And then he forces pure emotion, I think, in it. I and, mean, yeah. And let me ask you, because let me make sure that I understand. These
0: guys worked on this show for a year or so before, and then were only allowed to do one run of the play right and i definitely have some feelings towards that because as a theater teacher in um, in like middle from of middle schoolers a lot of times you spend a lot of time and you only get we would do shakespeare for example with our right. sixth graders and we would spend 9 weeks preparing for this and then they get one shot to do the actual production and what you find from doing that is that theater has a different meaning the production's important but the thing that i think you guys do a good job of showing in the, in the film and in the documentary is that it's the process that is so rewarding and so and, and is also important. And to really focus on that and, and everything that everybody got out of the process, the better that they understood themselves, the better that we understand the disease, the better that we understand the play and Beckett, like that interplay is all there. And that's what we were doing in, with sixth grade Shakespeare it was like, we want them to know this text but more so, we want them to have the experience of working together. We want to have them the experience of of having being responsible for something. And then the experience of being out there and, and facing their fears and doing the show. And all of that was also, it really made me want to do a play again, for one thing, because nice. it's been a while for myself before since I've been in a show. And it made me just really appreciate that work that goes into it.
2: It's true, but for, for professionals, they do all this um, headwork and heart work as they as they process it, and then after they've done a few and seen how the audience touches it, because as soon as it, that's like, a sort of adding, like something out of weird science, you know, like adding like that last uh, ingredient, and psh, it becomes something, you know, then it becomes Jacqueline Bisset or whoever it is, you know, the woman. Um, bad metaphor, but work with me here, um, and uh, and. Um, after you get audience, you add audiences to the last ingredient. Then these actors typically can really start to play. They get it. They know where the laughs are and everything like that. So in a way, they were robbed of something because they could only the Beckett Estate only allowed one one performance. Um, but I will say the Beckett Estate has been both very generous with us, uh, allowing us to make a documentary which uses um, uh, his work. But at the same time, Beckett Estate is very very serious about what they own and making sure that you know you don't set like. Waiting for Godot with, you know, produ- produced by rats in a subway or something like that. You know, right. I mean, they're very, very, uh, and we held to it very, very closely on purpose. But at the same time, the reason that, he, that they say that, I think, is because Beckett is so embedded so much into it that you do, almost don't see or realize until you're way into it that like, you know, um, and it was in doing uh, interviews with this uh, about the, the project itself that I realized that like, while I knew that the set is set up sort of like a skull with two windows in the back, his eyes, Dan sort of as the center, sort of like the nose or, or mouth. And then, you know, other things floating around him. him. Um, that, you know, is this whole set just the head, the brain of someone with Parkinson's? He's sending out like orders to someone who's like not fulfilling them. Um, he's got this like running commentary going on, just like someone with Parkinson's does. Um, or is it just like uh, a, what you'd imagine Beckett's sort of other world to be where outside has been denuded of all life and we're in the you know, gray otherworldly darkness, you know, as some, as, as many people take Beckett to be. So we I should pause for a why.
0: second there and just mention that Beckett's mother, which you, you go into, into the film, suffered from Parkinson's. And I don't know that we mentioned that in this podcast, but that, that, that Parkinson's actually plays a part in the play, the written version, not just in the, in the version that you guys, and created because the actors are suffering from the disease. I think there's, a. I think there's, there's, there, it's just such rich ground. And I think it's worth mentioning that. Right.
2: Nothing is, from that. nothing in Beckett is as simple as a, sort of a straightforward metaphor, but he wrote this after his mother and favorite aunt died of Parkinson's as a way i think to process uh, uh, this. It's certainly, it certainly can be read that way. Dan picked up the play and started reading it and sort of said, as he says in the movie, this is like talking about my life here. This is really like, what you're, as he said, you're talking language, man, in his like sort of great seventies Um And I think that that's, that's exactly right. Beckett is, uh, is representing in his mind, what this whole um, uh, staggering um, gap mouth sort of life is. Another thing which is interesting here also is that Joe, the director of the play uh, in the movie had played clove when he was a young man at the cherry lane in that, in that first run. And he said he tied like a, 10 pound weight around his neck to get the sort of shuffling and heaviness. And he said during rehearsal that like, Chris is really lucky in a way because he can bring that lived experience that Tom was, was mentioning to this ex- experiential. His shuffling is real shuffling. His limp is a real limp. His like, you know, edging over to the side and his being unable to like lift up and, 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 and do stuff is, is uh, it comes from reality. And so it's both Beckettian and and Parkinsonian at the, at the same time, um, that's why it all. I try to weave it together, and the third piece is kind of a love letter to being an actor in New York. Um, but uh, um, I try, I, that's why it's not just like what play can we possibly do. Um, it's like this play really speaks to Parkinson's. No, it's it's
1: yeah, it's quite meaningful to see two actors in the you know later parts of their life as their bodies are and minds are deteriorating occupying two characters who are going through that same idea. Um, Great. So I'm going to jump back to our structure, talking about experiential, something that I do to try to pull myself into what I'm watching uh, is if I am uh, watching something in which a character is uh, 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 sipping whiskey, uh, I will try to do so at the same time. So I sort of feel what they're feeling in that. Nice. For example, (laughs) I don't know if you watched Perry Mason, the, a limited series on HBO? I did not. With uh, Matthew Reese from uh, The Americans. Uh, very well done. But as you imagine, it's sort of, you know, from a certain time. And he uh, is a guy who's sort of, you know, trying to wing it. And, you know, things are against him. So there's a lot of times we sort of, will, you know, take a shot of whiskey, sort of to brace himself up for a bad decision or a brave move, whatever. So I'll do the same. <laughs> oh, I, I know what that swipe is of like, all right, here we go. So uh, that's just something, again, I don't want to necessarily go looking for movies. Oh, they drink a lot in this movie. I'm definitely (laughs) going to rent this one. Um, But that is just, uh, I just found a a way to sort of step into the reality of a character by um, adjusting the same sensory flash that they do.
2: Have you spent a lot of time at like Universal Studios Orlando or anything like that? I feel like that's... Different (laughs)
1: experiential, but uh,
2: all all good for me. Um, Uh, I I hear that. Um, So... Tell me more of your uh, posit. What are you positing here for us? Uh, I just again,
1: anytime you can put yourself into the position of the character that you're watching. Oh, yeah, yeah, can, yeah, for sure. A little, little elevated sense of their experience. I, I'll mention that
0: when doing Crap's Last Tape, which is a which is a shorter piece than than Endgame. I had to, as an actor, make the decision that even though the title tells me that this is the last tape that this guy is recording, I would not know that it's the last tape that I'm recording, even if I think it might be. And so I remember sort of as an actor going, at which points am I, am I clinging to the hope? Because in the idea of crap's last tape, he records these tapes year after year, pretty much on his birthday. And the idea of at what points am I choosing as an actor to believe that there is going to be more tapes or there are going to be more tapes? And at what points am I coming to the realization that there's, there's probably not many more tapes, if any more tapes for me? And the, that's, that was my internal journey as an, an experiential artist. And I just, I, I would imagine that there was some of that same like realization that these actors were also having to have because of the realizations that the characters are having in the show
2: for sure i mean i think as an actor you have to be in the moment right you can't play the 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 end result um and if you like if you're the antagonist the bad guy you're not like the bat to you you feel like you're doing the right thing trying to like get your <laughs> aim right yeah um so all that is is true it's you know nobody ever wrote in their diary like dear diary 1914 world war one started today no they're like this thing is happening to me at this moment. It's not like they know, they can read the future. These guys too, I don't think they went into this thinking that this was gonna be like their swan song. It ended up being that, but like during, you know, uh, rehearsal and just, you know, shooting the bull about this stuff, Dan was talking about the next thing to do and his son's a drummer. They're gonna do something like, you know, with um, sound and and such. And I was like, okay, should that happen? That would be, that'd be great. I mean, uh, Dan even ends the movie. I've got to say with like, you know, if this is the last thing I ever do, I, I think it was worth it. I don't I, think it will be.
0: Where yeah. are these actors now? Like what what are they up to and how, because I noticed there is a there is a one year pause between the end of the production and then your kind of like last scene that we see them in and they're, they're still around there. And I'm just wondering what are they up to as far as you know now and how recent was that ending of that to real, where we are in 2021?
2: Right, um, I thought it was important to kind of bracket it with like, like you can't just end and like cheers and what happens. Um, so that at the end is the world, the Parkinson's Unity Walk in Central Park, which they met up with the spring after they did this over the summer. Uh, Chris, as you as you can see in the movie is like translating uh, Cherry Orchard with Diane Wiest, uh, which is certainly cool. And, and one thing he, and he's really um, uh, fallen more into his translating. His view about that, which I think is really wonderful is like, you know, when I'm translating, I get to play all the parts, yeah. um, which is kind of neat. He gets to really decide how these uh, people execute the emotions that are, you know, in the Russian that he's translating from uh, are, are doing it in probably a different way and from a different century. Um, Dan too is is um, is a terrific writer uh, and is is putting stuff to paper. I'm not sure it's for public consumption necessarily, um, but uh, certainly, you know, he's. Uh, after a uh, long tradition after making that Christmas list, getting his like you know uh, holiday uh, letter is always absolutely hilarious. Um, but um he's moved to Pasadena, where his w- his daughter took a job as a teacher. and and I think they're both have deteriorated, of course, it's a degenerative disease with no cure. And so over the time since I shot them and the, and as I told them, you know after we sort of were folding up the camera, uh, after that scenario with Mary Beth, and she's like, you know, shaking her fist and like, why is it so damn hard? Um, she was like, so what happens next? I'm like, well, we put this stuff away. I edit He's like, no, no, no. What happens next with the disease? And I was like, I I don't really feel it's my place to tell you, it, it only gets harder and worse. And of course, and these are the good times, maybe you could think of it. Um, and and that's true, you know that I could get hit by a bus as soon as I leave this interview. Um, so I better make the most of this moment, as you're kind of saying. Crap, I think has to do the same thing. Is it his last one? If he makes it to next year, it won't be. Uh, at the end of Endgame, one of them is packed up to leave. It's not clear that this isn't just what he does every single day. Is pack up to leave and then never goes kind of like a almost like a wily e. coyote sort of thing. <laughs> Continue to buy from Acme and buying from Acme and buying from Acme and like not never realizing. Um, Or maybe this is the last moment. I mean, leaving that open is not something that's like a worthwhile, uh, you know, sort of um, rabbit hole that I started to get into. But it's certainly a good question. And one can take it like at the end, you know, uh, at the end of a movie when they leave the ending open.
0: It's a theme that you see in Beckett often, this idea that no matter what you think has happened on this stage, nothing has changed. And that I've been listening to a podcast called the history of philosophy with no gaps, <laughs> without any yeah. gaps. And it goes way back to the pre-Socratic thinkers. And this idea that change is an illusion is actually a pre-Socratic notion that has uh, been around for 2,500, 2,600 years. Um, and- Yeah, well,
2: look, you live, you die, and that's, you know, you breathe in the middle. And that's about, that's about it. I mean, I think that Beckett thought of himself as a hilarious comedian. I think that if you're writing today, I don't want to put too many words in this one, I think he'd be like Dave Chappelle or something like that. He'd mm-hmm. be like calling out bullshit and, and, and writing about it. I think that, that's what he was doing in this case as well, that he was a Irishman writing in French means that like certain comedic things don't land for 21st century people. But if you'd write, and you can't do this, but we write Beckett into modern vernacular, you know, you'd get generations that would just read like it was a you know, a uh, a Farrelly brothers movie in some ways. Um, but, you know, but people tend to ground it in like, he won a Nobel prize, how can it be? But I think that his incredible darkness is what makes um, it funny. Tom, you know, told me back in the day, like you can put funny on serious or serious on funny and both are funny, but if you try to put funny on funny, it's just not there. So what Beckett does is he takes the most serious stuff in the world and is like, can't do anything about this. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. This shit's fucked. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> and that, and that's where he lands. And look, if stuff's that bad, make a joke about it. You know, yeah. There's a line in the play, there's nothing funnier than unhappiness. And I think that he believed that. I believe it. When things are darkest and worst, I'm busy like spinning out the rage and people are laughing and I love that.
1: Yes, Jim, the... you, you do work under that principle.
2: Yes, I do. And that's why Beckett is so right for me. Uh, it's kind a of question. Comedy,
1: yeah. In Isn't watching bigger... the
2: movie,
1: uh, just as, you know, as an uh, you know an actor and a performer, I went in thinking that it was going to be mostly about the production. So I admit, going through, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this, but I, gosh, I thought it was going to be a lot more of the rehearsal process. Um, you do get there, and it's uncomfortable um, at times. And I was like, oh, that's why, because this is definitely part of it. But if you stayed with that for too much uh it, it, it might be too much and we wouldn't understand but uh again when you get to it and yeah going up on lines and things like that it's you're just you know it's you know what yeah, watching bad improv all that kind of stuff you're just like oh is this gonna work out i just want this to be over um, <laughs> yes so it, again, it was I- experiential in that you gave the viewer a sense of what it is to you know yeah be their uh, their life partners and deal with the constant ursel and then struggle but uh yeah. What we should just, one was there any limitations to how much of the rehearsal you could show from the 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 Beckett Foundation, and then just what what did you decide you wanted to show or not about? Uh, yes, the actual rehearsing of the play.
2: Well, I'd be happy to send you the um, you know show a length version that we had at one point, like four hours. I shot so much rehearsal because I wanted to make sure if anything happened, I didn't miss it and whatnot. Um, and it, there was a linear. Uh, sorry, we started. We finished. Um, uh, piece. And then the the drum was like, "Can they put up the show?" Well, I think that that hook of "Can they put up the show?" It still exists, as you're pointing out. But I realized that um, weaving it together, which is something which I have to commend my editors for as much as take credit for myself, um, in this uh, uh, braid was was vital. You can't just be you know stuck with a disease of the week documentary or a like. And then they worked on this line or something like that. So I I, I shot with the under, with the idea that it'd be a lot more about this rehearsal process. I have a cut somewhere in a hard the same hard drive that is like forty five minutes of them rehearsing and you know getting into you know uh, playing with all this stuff. And I think that um, I didn't want to drown us in in one type of process uh, the the rehearsal process. Some of it's enough. Uh, I hope that I tease just enough of it to get the sense that like they can only do this for like two or three hours a day, whereas most people rehearse all day, take a break, you know, they get lunch and then they 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 rehearse more. He says, luckily they have each has 25 years of acting under their belt. So they could ostensibly do this at the same time. They think they're Mary Andretti, but really they're like Mary Andretti's grandfather, kind of, you know, they no longer have the facility to turn the car on a dime like they could when they're at their at their you know, apex of their of their talents. So both their their self-image wasn't livid, wasn't uh, connected to who they really were at this time. And that was, I think, the hardest realization for these guys. I think Dan still, as he says at one point in the is like I walk the streets and like some guy knocks me, I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I know I can't do that anymore. I mean, I'd like to still, because he spent his life like being a tough guy and now he's a frail guy and wow, how do you change, you know, turn the tables on yourself? it be like me waking up one day and being like, 6'3 and really handsome be like, hey there lady. It's like, no, I'm still like the funny looking guy with glasses and red hair, you know? So that's just, that's for your radio audience to get a sense of what I'm talking about. No, it reads through your voice. Okay, okay, good. You can <laughs> tell. <laughs> so, you know, so, um, you know, so it's like Virgil Stark looks up as like Clark Kent. No, you know, that just is not gonna, you know, not gonna, so it's actually going to the other direction. And I think it's absolutely, um, it's it's exciting. I, I But I'm happy to send you Hours and hours of footage of rehearsal, if you'd like Tom to really go deep into it. I said, I, I thought that's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave
1: me just enough. No, uh, it was great. Um, I have a question about your process, Jim,
0: as the director. And when you go into a movie with, that has a script, I got to think you kind of know which story you're, you're telling. You're right. going to make some discoveries as you go in. When you go into a play, you have a script, you want to honor the playwright's vision. When you go into a documentary, I got to think you're you're wondering what are the, you're, you're, it's really more of the journalistic work. What is the story here? And I'm wondering at which points maybe you found out what the stories were or what, did that not happen until the editing process? Or did you have an inkling about it as you were going along and that started to guide your eye in terms of what you were looking for? Would just love to hear a little bit about what that process was like to be making something that doesn't have a narrative already built into it.
2: Well, I hear you. Yeah, you know, I think that um, a documentary can't just be a- explicative. It's not sort of like, you know, what's a snake's innards or something like that. You know? um, <laughs> I, I just, that's not what I'm gonna do, but, uh, but bear with me there. Um, but um, it, you have to have a sense of like what's, what's at stake. And I knew that there was two things here, a ticking clock to some degree, and given that ticking clock, can they do the play? So that is still um, a through line in, in, in this piece. And, but I will tell you that along those lines, I realized sort of what I was in for when I set up the Indiegogo uh, campaign, um, which Tom contributed to, thank you very much. Um, Josh, I'm still waiting for your contribution. It's not I years didn't know before. about it. No,
0: we'll share it. We'll share I'm, it with our podcast no, it's,
2: listeners. It's long past, it's, it's, a, it's <laughs> no, 10 years ago. But um, uh, I told them, listen guys, when we get to like $20,000 on this, we know we're for real and let's get started looking for a a place to, uh, you know, rehearse. And I think they either misheard me or they just had that sort of Parkinsonian, you know, uh, cognitive thing. And I think they heard 20 bucks because literally the day I started it, they were like, Hey, got the place. Let's start rehearsing. I'm like, I've got all this producing stuff to do while you guys just think you're doing this. So um, they kind of like threw me for loop after loop after loop. I will say if I do another documentary, I'm doing it on like Paul pot or, you know, the science of sleep or something, not about two people who can go off and do their own Abraham Lincoln, he's dead. <laughs> Nothing can change with that story. We don't have to like worry about like, oh wait, where are they? Um, but so I knew that Abe's was- at
3: it again.
2: <laughs> That's the title. Um so uh so um they constantly sort of threw me for loops and the like. Uh, I don't think it's funny because guys who've been in front of cameras for their whole lives or on stage, you think would know like yeah, 15 minutes is not enough time for me to like do your like event at the YMCA, you know. Um, I need to set up for half an hour to at least get, you know. Um, but it was really like, you know, flashier and I had to jump to it. I knew that was what I was getting into. Um, and you just have to make sure you're sort of at the right place at the right time or at least at enough right places that you get enough of the uh, um, uh, uh, situations and you can cobble together. story. because obviously much more happened than we were able to show in the movie. That we got enough that we can uh that we can display one thing that I sort of rue is that uh after they have this bad disrehearsal that you guys are alluding to, Dan goes to you know, the guys is like, We're just not doing this. We're done. We're back at yeah. the tent and going home. And unfortunately I'm like behind him at that moment. And I wish that I like I had him on, but you keep but in document, you can be like, Okay, great, hold it, let's get uh reverse angle, uh light, you know, get the say that again. I mean you don't sort of have that have that ability, which is incredibly frustrating and you you we wish. get the
1: but, reverse angle of your personal collapse. Exactly, right. <laughs>
2: yeah. So this is the worst moment of your life. Do it again for me, but with the sincerity. Yeah. Um, but
1: you were, you know, elbow to elbow at some really emotional moments at the doctors and otherwise they are breaking down. And what is it to stand there with them uh, knowing that you're trying to capture this experience, but also I'm sure maybe wiping a tear away yourself or otherwise? What's it like to stand in such a mo- A moment with a camera in front of your face.
2: Yeah. Well, the good news for me, I guess, for better or for worse, is that I've pushed people to like bring their most emotional moments and then cut it down to thirty-second commercials uh, uh, as a as a career. A lot of political ads are like, "Let's get to your worst moment." Okay, good. Okay, now we're going to the next person. Um, But and this, you know, these are friends, so I could luckily had a much stronger relationship with them going into it uh, and coming out of it. Uh, It's hard because you're both edified, Um, you're kind of like, this is gonna be really wonderful in the movie, but you're also like, you're heart-rended because you're like, this is my friend going through this this moment. Um, And because my dad had Parkinson's as well, I'm like, I know this moment and it kills me. And I was able to like process in ways that I wouldn't have if I just put it in a box like I sort of did for uh, whatever it was, five or seven years after my dad had Parkinson's, I didn't want to deal with it at all. So it was it was edifying to knowing that I was getting something for the piece. Heartrending to see these people going through it, and also allowed me to see the universality, if you will, of the experience of loss and hurt, uh, and and we all are going to go at some point. These are just doing it a little faster and a little more raggedly than than we were with the uh, ex- with an expectation that they'd. Do it for another 20 years and, and, and just and just can't. It's it's hard. I mean, at the same time, I'll tell you, there's one incredible scene where Dan is breaking down in tears. And actually, we've told the um, it's like the last question of a pretty intense uh um or the most intense question after a pretty straightforward uh um interview. And there's a guy downstairs trying to buzz up with the lunch. And we're like, could you just don't, don't butt hold for a minute? Just hold, can we send the PA? You know, and they're like. There's even more going on than you might imagine. Um, so it's it's hard. You know, documentary filmmaking, especially low budget documentary filmmaking is one like sort of um, controlled disaster. And luckily I think we controlled it more than it controlled us.
0: I loved the images, the sort of impressionistic images that you guys used. And I'm just, who did those? That was, was just really great. I thought it was a great device. It kind of brought home that Sort of like temporary moment in time, but also like the sort of living picture that always kind of exists for you as you went. I thought it was a great way to tie the movie, the film together. Who who did those? I'd love to credit them as well. It's really great. Song
2: Song Riddle is a terrific, terrific artist, and um, he he brought those to life. He and I sort of had some ideas uh, about what to do, and he really took it from you know uh, uh, from conception to terrific terrific uh, execution. Um, it's almost like Japanese line painting or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and it, the, the thing which we tried to do is, you know, these guys are talking, they're talking about their experience. When Beckett is, if you will, talking, of course he's dead, I'm not gonna interview him from the ground the grave, little you know, shot of the Ouija board or whatever. Um, we, need to, we need to find a way for us to know that this is when Beckett's getting his say as sort of the third piece of the, of the weave. And there we went with this animation to, we still hear this guy, our guy's voice. It's a very tight controlled group. There's like five people who really have, you know, uh, have, you know, give us their their thoughts about the movie. Um, when we wanna make it Beckett's voice, we took it out of the reel into this, um, this, this animated space.
0: Yeah,
2: right. so. Was, yeah, excellent. Uh, if I can, I'm
1: gonna mention another movie that I watched recently that, you know, had a similar experiential effect. I don't know if you've seen the movie Sound of Metal
2: no what's um, that
1: highly recommend it uh okay. on the amazon platform it is about a punk rock drummer who loses his hearing oh wow um and a lot of the movie is done in silence or in muffle um so you as the audience hear what he is hearing as the let it go from all of a sudden it's just this high-pitched shriek and you're like ah and he's like mm, what the crap that's weird and then sort of goes down to muffle He's not letting anybody around him know that's what's going on because he doesn't want anybody to like, "Oh, are you okay, Bye-bye. So, and he has to deal with the idea of um he's also uh, someone in uh uh in recovery. Um oh, wow. so he gets kind of placed in a recovery home for uh, people who are uh have hearing loss or are fully deaf and just how he struggles with the idea of, yeah, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. And they are like, "No, you know, you know the guy does, uh, who runs the home, points to his ears, like, We're, we don't work at, on this. And he points to his head. We work on this, you know, oh, wow. how you think about your situation. And again, and so this guy really thinks what he needs to do is raise the money to get implants to get back to playing drums so he could be with his girlfriend who is the singer who's gone on tour without him kind of thing. And um, But so much of it is done through the audio element of you hear what he hears and how yeah, frustrating the world can be, and you do hear what the world is like through poorly installed or, or you know, uh, implants that do not do what they said oh, they were wow. going to do. And how frustrating that must be. So I, I highly recommend, but it's that same idea of like, man, it wasn't just, oh, hey, I'm, I'm sitting from a distance wondering what it's like you are... And at times you're
2: frustrated, You're like, okay, put it back, put it back to the normal. Like I, I, yes, I, he has to go through it. Why do I, you know? Right. Well, you know, there's two things about that. First is the experiential. That sounds incredible. Um, you know, I think a lot of good drama, uh, the, the characters uh, are trying to get what they want, but what they end up with is what they need. And right. I this is one of those situations that you're saying about him thinking it was about like getting cochlear implants. That's really about, getting his life back uh, sort of in line. I also say that I went to see a like a screening of Dave Grohl's Sound City. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw this, this is about basically he bought a a, a uh, studio that had, you know, everyone had performed in or whatever. And afterwards, oh, people, uh, you know, person after person, after person went up to him at the thing and was like, hey man, I just wanna say, I'm deaf because of you. And I love, you know, it's like you know, all these like <laughs> musicians were like, you know, he's like, I'm sorry. It's like, no, no, it's so, so you know, I wouldn't have, you know, it's, um, it, to be a, a guy whose career or life is in rock, 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 would, you're, gonna, you're gonna have to suffer for your, for your craft in, in some way. Um, sounds good though, I, wanted, I really wanna see that happening. uh, I think there's a lot of ways, we in one small way, try to give sort of the feel of Parkinson's with the shakiness of uh, a archival camera and a weird effect we put on when one of them says, and then something changed. Uh, sort of at the end of the first act. But we don't try to uh, give you the feeling of it because I just don't know how, uh, how, how we would. I love the idea that with something so tangible as hearing and you, I think that doctors can tell you what, I never pronounce it, tintiness can sound like or full hearing loss It would be, especially for a person who, uh, whose life is music, it's almost, it's almost Greek tragedy that this is what he's lost.
1: Yeah. And his clinging to it, he's like, no, no, fine. We let's still play it. Uh, I, I'm just like a click track. You know, you, you, you play off of me, you know, cause he can still hold a rhythm in his head. He can still speak and everything, yes. but he just can't hear what they but he's like, no, that's cool. Like uh, I know, you know, I have sense memory of all these songs, like I'll be fine. Um, but you know, those around a particular girlfriend think, like, yes, but every time you play, you'll get worse. Uh, and, oh, so, and I oh. can't do that to you as much as I know this is, the thing you love the most, I can't be, you know, buying into the thing that is definitely eliminating whatever remains of your hearing at this point.
2: It's like a caring, Sid and Nancy. I mean, that's, yes. that's, 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 that sounds—that's—that sounds in not to, yeah, you know, that sounds intense. Um, wow, uh, yeah, I think that that going to your whole experiential uh, uh, thing to get in the head of someone to get in the head of something is is vital. There's one thing again, pitching my film. Uh, Dan is outside of the NYU studio where he's rehearsing. And he's kind of, of course, it's an interview, but we've cut it so it's almost like he's sitting there smoking, pondering this stuff. And it's just like coming out of his mind. And it, to me, it really, it's it's my one of my favorite parts of the movie. It really works where we're like, geez, we're sort of like, you know, sort of drilled deep into his head. It's coming out without him even talking kind of. Of course, that's not the case, but that's my sort of, sort of aim. I'm not in it at all. I mean, you hear me, I laugh hysterically at one point when someone says something, absolutely hilarious, but I try to stay out of it. I'm not like a over my shoulder and then cut back to me where a tear in my eye, kind of a documentarian. I'm thrilled to be behind the camera and way behind it. Um, But I think that getting, if you can get people to feel as you're talking about Tom, that's how you get, that's how, that's what drama, that's what really these experiences are. I mean, I hope that's- that's I wanna be be.
0: conscious of your time, Jim. Once again, the the movie is Me To Play. It's in the slam dance film festival right now. You can find that at slamdance. Is it slamdance.com or slamdance.org? I'm so sorry.
2: Slam, slamdance.com. And, and tickets are uh, ten dollars. You can see hundreds of movies, uh, shorts, features, documentaries. Um, it's like the best deal in show business. And you can I, stream it all from your own home. As I said, if it had been a live year, it would have been really fun, but it'd been about 275 seats total for this right. movie. Instead, thousands and thousands of people, I hope, can yeah. can come check it out. Uh from the from the privacy of their own homes, they can Indeed. laugh, they can cry. They Great can thing up. at that,
1: yeah. I had a good experience. I realized so. Uh, Slam Dance has a Roku app, so yes. uh, I was able to kind of oh, just
2: wow. download
1: the Roku app and then enter my code when I bought the pass, and boom! So it's all available right there. Because I was like, oh, I'll watch my my computer, that'll be fine. And I just happened to hit a few buttons and like, look, they've thought of everything. Yes, That's I, good. Uh, I appreciate it, isn't that. I, uh, I watch it then from Jim, my app I can, be, just in terms of yeah. experience, yes. So hooray that so many maybe more people get to be pointed to the film. Uh, For you, yes, you mentioned Jared Leto and your time with the intern, but uh, for these two guys, it would have been so awesome. You know, that crowd, to finish that film and lights up and there they are, they would have freaked out. That would have just been an ovation that went forever, and and I'm sorry that they didn't get to live that.
2: I I, I agree with you completely. It's it's super, uh, um, you know, there are strengths and weaknesses of this, and I totally agree. I think that they would have these are the performers. They would lap up that that love, and people would totally shower them with it. Um, Q and A would be interesting. These are two men with Parkinson's, but um, yes. it, uh, it 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 certainly. Um, I, I I feel sad for them. At the same time, though, they also get the opportunity instead of it being like filled with sixty percent agency people or whatever, looking you know looking for the next thing to buy. Uh, they can send it to their aunt Mabel in Sheboygan or something like that, or send it to their. High school friends, or 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 get as many people possible to see it, and then they can get the phone calls and and have the love come one one call uh, you know at a time. I will tell you one important thing, Tom. At least on the uh, uh, Apple TV app, you can't do the voting, um, so you have to go back to the computer if you don't mind. If I could uh, uh, yep. beg you an indulgence to go back and rate it whatever you think it's 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 worth there on the uh, on the computer um, uh, screen. I promise to. Thank, Thank you so you. much. We can cut Thank that you. part out of your out of your uh, uh, piece, but uh, but I'm pitching. You know, this is what I got to do: sell, sell sell, yeah. sell, 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 and sell some more.
0: Well, it was great, oh, yeah. and I I don't think anybody that's listening to us today and that uh, goes to watch it will be at all disappointed. It was really, again, as a theater guy, if you have any interest in theater, any interest in Beckett, any interest in the human experience, this is a this is a really great
1: great. Film. Sure. Yeah. And, and as I'll talk about yeah it's not always easy to watch but it
2: is very much worth it yes yeah. uh, th- thank you thanks very much I think that's right I hope that it has sort of soul and that means both uh, the like sort of tear jerking and the laughs I think that that you might expect from two guys who who want to perform last thing I'll just say is that we're also on social media at media play doc okay. um, on Facebook Twitter Instagram etc so check us out there too we have special content uh we you know, appraisal of what's going on with the movie and everything like that that was my little you know ad pitch there thank you for letting me do it me That's to play awesome.
0: slam dance film festival jim burnfield thank you very much thanks guys have a great day jim burnfield how about that me me to play yeah that was a fantastic I, I i'm just so glad that jim is your friend tom and now my friend too yeah uh, and that you suggested this because the movie really moved me and I I loved it. I loved it. There's everything about it. So I'm excited to uh share it with people who are hearing this podcast and I hope that they will go to Sundance, uh, not Sundance uh, SlamDance.com and uh and get get that ten dollar membership and watch the movies.
1: Yeah, it was well done. I, yeah, it was nice when I mentioned this and when I mentioned that it was doing a Beckett production, you were like, Huh? Beckett. No one ever wants to talk Beckett with me, kind of thing. You know. yeah. um, so, it's well done. Yeah, I thought they did a nice job, also, of sort of uh, stripping away some of the, the ethereal mysticism about Beckett that people think he's this like abstract and like no, it's about pain or pleasure. It's 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 very straightforward. It's not abstract. Well, it's not uh, maybe you know, literal all the time. It, right. it, it is not this. Um, oh, I just it has all these concepts I can never imagine. <laughs> Someone struggling with the end of their life, pretty straightforward.
0: Or if it is obfuscatory, to use a 20 cent word, like it is so in a very blatant way that you're like, okay, we're not going to get through this without with knowing at least logically or rationally what this part is about, because it's so, you know, I'm thinking of specific pieces from Waiting for Godot, for example, that are just like almost nonsense because they're so thick with um rhetoric and uh so but anyway yeah i mean i just love beckett and and was so glad to get a chance to see that work and now though ladies and gentlemen as it is every week it is time for tom's take a tasty tidbit for you to take with you to go
1: out into the world uh tom what do you got for us take it away talking experiential this week um here to encourage the idea of being willing to stand with the uncomfortable. So there are parts of this movie as you watch it that are uncomfortable to watch. It is difficult to be around someone uh, who is struggling with memory and struggling with physical, but it's so worth it. And uh, I just encourage people to, to find time for that. I'll go back to my first thing. You should get what you want. And if that's not what you want from a movie or otherwise, then um, it's good to know that. For example, dare to say it, I didn't really like the American, uh, the office. Uh, I just found it too uncomfortable. It was just (laughs) too, like, so uncomfortable. It was so awkward. And that's, like, not what I wanted for my entertainment. Uh, Also, ER, I just couldn't watch that show. It was very well made, too well made. And as a kid who spent a lot of time in emergency rooms (laughs) and doctor's office, I was like, why would I want to relive that? That is not what I want. So it's good to know what you want from your entertainment, but you should, at some point want to stand in the uncomfortable for example watching the sound of metal that's standing in the uncomfortable uh, and other things now that can be from uh, entertainment and i do think a documentary might be the a better place to stand in the uncomfortable rather than maybe reality tv you know watching wife swap you may not really be understanding a culture um, (laughs) the way that you might from a documentary but other places and yeah i encourage people particularly to stand in the uncomfortable of their own area you know uh, growing up where I did I had you know there were lots of minorities in my town so I had you know lots of black and Latino friends and enemies great but uh-huh. uh, going to school in New York, I got exposed to you know gay and trans and Hasidic Jew and all these different things and I was like, whoa, I didn't know about this and just just being around them being like, oh, well, good, now this is just another thing I know rather than something I don't quite understand yet. Um, so try to expose yourself, because yes, that was my thing. Exposure is a word that has taken on sort of a negative connotation in the quarantine times. Um, oh, Have you or anyone else been exposed? Oh, it's awful. No, you should be. Um, so with that, yeah, just trying to expose yourself to some of the things of your own bracket that, again, rather than immediately judge the, you know, part of your own demographic that may be opposite politically and just banish them. Try to, try to stand in that uncomfortable for as much as you can to, again, try to get some understanding rather than, uh, God, that's, I I don't even like thinking about that. So I won't, um, put that on your entertainment menu ever so often to stand in the uncomfortable. I, I think that's true
0: in so many ways. And one of the ways that I've heard that couched is to remain curious, like, you know, as opposed to seeing something and letting your reaction to it and what you think, you know, about it, guide the way that you think about it. Maybe, maybe instead try to be a little more curious about the yeah. thing and about, um, and what can I, what do I not know about it? What, what questions can I ask of this thing? Not that the value set or the virtues that, that other lifestyle or that other thing it has to become yours. You don't have to adopt it to be curious about it. Do you know what I right. mean? Uh, and I think that there's there's something there. I also heard you say in this that you know you like to bring experiences that the that you're seeing on the screen or with you. You talked about uh, drinking whiskey. I know that I'm I'm going to check your pockets for a knife if we ever go see Julius Caesar together. That is something that's going to happen because I I don't necessarily uh, think one, of you have days, to one of these days, One of these days. <laughs> well, thanks, Tom. Yeah, um, I do want to mention for those who are listening weekly, Glennis Redman has promised to be our guest next week. Glennis is an amazing poet, uh, among among many other things, and also an educator and a an activist and, and just very excited to talk to Glennis next week and bring her onto the show and hear all that's going on with her. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to have Glennis Redmond on next week. Huge, a huge get for us, I think. Great. And so
1: Josh, now is the time when you usually treat us to a song.
0: Yes. And, and I'm going to, uh, I will be honest that this is not the song that I wrote this week um, for the first time in our, Uh, work I didn't I didn't uh, I would rather do something else because it is as I said before we are recording on Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday and so I've got a song that I wrote during uh, during the last few months I think it was in November maybe um that that celebrates one of the spirits of New Orleans and I think that um that's so I want to share that today uh and happy Mardi Gras to all you guys all right Mm.
3: If you're down in Louisiana where the swamp grass grows There's an old Cajun lady everybody knows With the potion and the potion that'll cure your soul She's the voodoo queen, Marie Laveau she got long black hair and eyes of stone Wears a cross around her neck made of chicken bone? She can name you all the saints in French and Creole Cure whatever ails you, see Marie Laveau Well, let's go see Marie Laveau She the voodoo queen of the old biome you want to know. Yeah, let's go see Marie Laveau. It's the craziest thing that you ever seen when you're walking down the streets of New Orleans. All the folks singing, dancing and playing the band. Well, Marie, she doesn't touch, them with the mojo hand. Yeah. weed in your parlor nine months later come little Jean Ricard yeah you got the measles or the mumps or the pleurisy. just go down and visit with old Marie she'll mix you and elixir up your ecstasy have you talking with the saints and set you free yeah let's go see Marie Laveau she the voodoo queen of the old bayou. Yeah, she'll tell you everything
1: that you want to know. Let's go see Marie
3: Laveau. Yeah, let's go see Marie Laveau. Ooh. There we go. Nice,
0: Josh. Of course, the voodoo queen of new orleans and uh, happy mardi gras everybody out there thanks for joining us this week join us next week with glennis redmond we'll be talking poetry and events all around the world and uh thanks for joining us Bye
1: bye bye one take tommy